We sang, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor De Leon constrained to be. Well, we learned something about what grace has done for us, what God's grace has done for us in this passage. Looking at Titus 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to continue in our thoughts about the kingdom of God today. And we want to pull from this something about the kingdom, of course, and uh, something that I believe Brother Mark mentioned to me the other, the other day. Uh, this, is, this is a far-reaching concept is with the kingdom and I've certainly appreciated all the different follow-ups and uh, brother Mark's not able to be here today so he was going to follow me up but I'm going to be following myself up because there's really a lot to uh, this lesson and so we're going to continue in looking at that in the next hour as well particularly about the rewards of our obedience but every part of this is what God wants us to understand and know of course But if we go about, and really what we want to talk about today is the obeying the king. But if we go about in thinking about obedience without considering the role of grace in our lives, obedience can become almost a slog, something that feels like a burden. When Jesus said plainly that his yoke is light and his burden is easy. So how do we seek to obey the king? We have to remember that the grace of God has appeared. And in this passage, the grace of God is what is active. The grace of God is teaching us certain things. And it is teaching us, actually, to be active in our obedience, denying, living soberly, righteously and godly, looking for the blessed hope. All these things are active aspects of what we as kingdom citizens, as disciples of Jesus, need to be searching for and striving for. As we consider obeying the king, we've talked about, uh, we've talking, talked about last week in, in trusting the king, knowing that he's, he's true in every way. We've talked about knowing the king and who he is, and we've talked about the kingdom in general. But we want to talk about what this obedience is, and I hope that, I hope that you know, if, if you know these passages, if you know these things, that's great, uh, but maybe these are things that you haven't seen before, but even those of us who uh, have been Christians for a while, maybe we can challenge ourselves today to rethink about what obedience truly is. I want to discuss, first of all, that this is a spiritual obedience. Secondly, I want to talk about the priorities to our obedience. And uh, ultimately, the obedience of a kingdom citizen and what that really looks like. What does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? To live within a kingdom means that I must, uh, uh, of necessity, obey the king. When we talk about the kingdom of God, this is a spiritual obedience. This is an obedience that should overwhelm and concern everything that we're doing. What is our ambition? What's our goal? Uh, What's the whole point of what we're doing? 
In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, the King James Version, Paul writes, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The term labor, as described here, comes from a Greek term that means ambition. We make it our aim, is what the New King James Version says. What is the ambition of a disciple of Jesus? Our ambition is to be accepted of him, or well-pleasing, some translations say, our goal is to please him. That needs to be our goal. That needs to be our whole aim. And what that means is, when we think about that as our ambition, it means that every other ambition in my life, every other desire that I might have, has to be uh, consumed with this notion, whatever I'm doing, it must be pleasing to the king. And so we must redefine what success means to us. If we think that wealth, numbers, popularity all define success, whether we're talking about our individual lives or our collective lives as a congregation, we will be led down a path away from God and His kingdom if that's what we define success as. Simply put, success for the kingdom citizen means the salvation and preservation of his or her soul. Notice that when we think about this, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Obedience to God, obedience to the king is the purpose of a, and influence of a disciple. Romans 1 and verse 5, Through him we have received grace and apostleship. For what reason? Why do we receive that grace? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Obedience to the faith. The way that we obey God not only affects us, but can have a great effect upon others. My success in the preservation of my own soul is the bare minimum of what my efforts as a kingdom citizen have to be. I want to go to heaven. And I believe just about everybody in here wants to go to heaven, right? But think about that. That is not the final uh, point. It has to be more. Because there are people who are suffering and dying every day who do not know God, who, do not, uh, who are not a part of His kingdom. It starts with me, but it does not end with me. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, we can't force that on other people, can we? We can't take someone and put a gun to their head and say, you need to be saved and you need to follow God's plan of salvation. We can't do that for multiple reasons. But our interest must be, first of all, to make sure that we are okay with God, that we are right with God. But we have to have this sense that I want others to find the kingdom as well in their lives. So that's my purpose, is to obey God and make sure that I'm saved and encourage others to be saved as well. This is going to affect our eternal destiny. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 
Verses 34 and 35, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. The difference, of course, here is made in doing. It's not just the intent of our heart. If I can have this, this good intent to say, yes, I want others to be saved. I want others to come to the knowledge of the truth. I want others to see the kingdom. Well, you, it's got to be more than intention. You've got to find a way to manifest that in your life in order to be properly obedient to God. The difference is made in doing. I'd like for us to turn to Romans 2, please. So the difference has to be made in doing. And it's not just about the things that, uh, that I do. I've got to be cognizant. I've got to keep in mind what is going on with others in my life. Romans 2 and verse 3. Romans 2 and verse 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation to the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also uh, of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. We need to know that what we do in life will echo in eternity. But let me, let me suggest this as well. And by no means do I say that, there, that we can't do any good as a sinner before we become a Christian. But I want us to look at Romans 6 and ask what I believe to be a very important question. Romans 6 and verse 19. Paul, in talking about the difference between the fact of you know, whether you're slaves to, to sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness, we want to be slaves of obedience, right? If we look at verse 16, but let's start reading in chapter 6 and verse 19. Paul says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <coughs> Look what he says in verse 21. He's referring back to their time as slaves of sin. And he's asking the question I think we have to ask ourselves sometimes. You know, was there any fruit in my life outside of Christ? Was there any good truly being done? Now I know we look at Acts 10 and we see a man like Cornelius who's doing good deeds, who's praying to God, and that comes up as a memorial to him. 
But there was more that was needed, right? Cornelius needed to submit to the salvation that God had prescribed. Let me suggest that our life outside of Christ, our life outside of the kingdom, is worthless in respect of our work done as a Christian. We can do so many good things, and we can see uh, friends in our lives, co-workers, we can see them doing good things, and we can appreciate those things. But let us remember that the end of those things is death. If we're not in the kingdom, if we're not in Christ, all those things are for naught. There's no, it becomes pointless. So am I in the kingdom? Am I a part of this? It's going to affect my destiny. And there are priorities, Christians, to our obedience when we think about this further. We seek first the kingdom. Jesus says that in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The kingdom has to come before self. Jesus, again, says in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. We've got to deny self. We have to take care of self, of course. But when it comes to our priorities, putting the kingdom in perspective is always going to help us. It comes before family. Jesus talks about in Matthew 10, 34 through 37, that he didn't come to bring peace. He didn't come to bring families together. He came to bring a sword. And he's going to be dividing these things. The word of God divides up all these different things. And the the, the question is not whether we like each other. The question is, are we going to be obedient to God? I can't let family get in the way of my obedience to God. I can't let human relationships get in the way of my obedience to God. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's what Peter said to the Sanhedrin. I can't let anybody else get in the way of my obedience to God. Also, earthly honor. In Philippians 3, 8-11, Paul, of course, rejected the honor of men and craved only the king's pleasure. That's what he wanted. And so, as a kingdom citizen, I'm putting the kingdom first. I'm seeking this. The activities of a kingdom citizen come before earthly work. You remember in Luke 10, 40-42, that uh, you had Mary and Martha there. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, but Martha's just cumbered about with all this serving. And she says, Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to come help me? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about so many things, but Mary has chosen that which is needful, that one thing that's needful. Further, when we look at, for example, the sense of the one thing that the rich young ruler was encouraged to do, that one thing is important. That earthly work, the things that we need to do are important. But we don't ever need to let that get in the way of listening to our king. Our own feelings or needs don't need to get in the way of the kingdom. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Everything needs to be done in such a way that I'm putting these proper priorities. And of course, I'm with, I believe, I trust saints that have these same priorities, these same thoughts. Obey first the king, however, right? Romans 3, 4, let God be true, but every man a liar. 1 John 2 makes the point that this world is dying. And John says it makes no sense to follow man rather than God. The things of this world are passing away. So why do we want to make priority for that? We need to be separating ourselves for the kingdom. 
We need to seek to be holy and have this priority. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our proper obedience to God is going to make us different from the rest of the world. What are you primarily? Are you an American? You know, it, 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 it really got to a point in my life in Christ where I, I realized, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of governmental system I'm under. You know, I can be a Christian under communism. I can be a Christian under socialism. I wouldn't want to be. I'm thankful for what I have. But if our citizenship in, is in heaven, it doesn't matter what happens here on earth. 1 Peter 1, verse 17, If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges each one uh, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. The sense of this priority, the sense of separateness from the rest of the world. We need to keep those things in mind. Well, what does the obedience of the kingdom citizen look like? Well, let's look at the character of a kingdom citizen. If I'm going to live in the kingdom, what kind of person am I going to be? I invite you to turn to Matthew 5. One of the things we notice about the Beatitudes is how completely opposite they are to the dictates of the world. And we can understand and we can see that. But I don't know about you, sometimes I read the Beatitudes and I get a little intimidated. I start to feel like, well, does this describe me? And that's what we need to ask when we read this is Jesus is not laying out these ideals that we can maybe strive for at some point. We start to think, well, it would be really nice if we could be that way. No, these are realities. These are kingdom realities that the king is putting forward. Uh, so Matthew 5, let's actually start in verse 2. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Does that describe us? Is that who I am? Am I rejoicing in the pressures that I'm suffering for the cause of Christ? Am I working every day to make peace? And that's just not talking about making peace between people and helping people get along in, in their struggles and their, their own difficulties. Being peacemakers is the thought that's said elsewhere in the New Testament, being ambassadors for Christ. We're out there and we're saying, listen, the Lord wants to make peace with you. The Lord wants to save you. That's what we're doing when we're making peace. Being pure in heart, having the true pure motives we need to have, seeking good things, being merciful, thirsting after God's righteousness and hungering after it. Being meek, knowing that I could do something and yet being restrained and controlled in the ways that God is restrained and controlled. You ever think about that, by the way? How easily would it be for God just to let his, his, his uh, emotions just run wild and his passions? 
You know what that would look like? I'm not sure we would want to see that. God controls himself, and we're encouraged to control ourselves. Blessed are those who are mourn, the sense that I'm sad about sin. Sin's not something that's funny to me. It's something that I take very seriously. And, of course, being poor in spirit, I have nothing to give to God. These are things not what a disciple of Jesus or kingdom citizen should aim for. Not just that, but it's what a disciple already ought to be. Our place is there, fellow Christians, and we need to seek to have that character in our lives. Even though it seems challenging, we can strive for it. The effort of a kingdom citizen, the effort that we're called upon. Jesus, of course, and the inspired writers of the New Testament were encouraged to leave everything for the sake of the truth, for the sake of what they've been given. They never minimized the effort required of a disciple. In fact, they warned about the great demands that were made upon our lives. Jesus says in Matthew seven thirteen, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. That word narrow can mean confined or restricted, in a sense, and that's what we typically think of. But the word, the Greek word, actually comes from a word which means to suffer, uh, suffer affliction, to be troubled, to experience tribulation. And so the picture that Jesus is giving us is that this path that you need to go on to be saved is a difficult path. It's going to be full of pitfalls and dangers. And most of the trouble, of course, can come from per- the lack of perceiving this danger. Too many Christians feel like Christianity ought to be an easy thing. And we look back at the Old Testament, and oh, I'm so, so glad we don't have to live under that law anymore. We are called to a greater level of discernment in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Think about it. The Jew had everything laid out for them. They didn't have to wonder what they should do in any given situation, typically. How many times as Christians do we have to take a step back and say, okay, what does this mean? What do I need to be doing? And we have to go back and we consult the Scriptures, and we, we seek God's truth in these things. So there's no such thing as easy Christianity. But God calls us to a life of endurance. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. Let's uh, take a look at that briefly. 2 Timothy. Of course, if we look at the life of Paul, we see many, many hardships that he suffered for the sake of Christ. And the encouraging thing is that he didn't keep those struggles to himself. Um, It wasn't something boastful for him to share those struggles. And that's a great lesson for us, to be open with our struggles, to admit our struggles. But you see in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, look at what he's encouraging Timothy to do. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of his life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Vines will give as synonyms in terms of suffering trouble or suffering hardship, uh, things like enduring affliction. Enduring this affliction. So enduring these things, suffering through these things, pushing through these things, We shouldn't really look at this in only a negative light, however. 
I think if we look at these things just as there's going to be terrible things and we're going to suffer and it's going to be hard, if that's all we ever look at, we miss something about what obedience really is. When we consider this in a positive way, the picture of the endurance of the kingdom of the citizen becomes one of incredible endurance, even heroic endurance. Think about these statements that Paul was able to make. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The person that has that kind of mindset is going to be able to get through anything in this life and not regret things, not, uh, not go back and say, oh, I, I wish things would be this way or that way. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. These are positive aspects of kingdom obedience. And what we need to strive for is to have this mindset that I'm going to be faithful to God no matter what. And in doing this, I'm going to be uh, bringing blessings upon myself. Even so, this is not our work, of course. This is God's work. When you think about it in that way, I don't have it on the PowerPoint, but Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One thing to remember about obedience, and we'll continue this thought in terms of the rewards of obedience in the next hour, Lord willing. It's not just me. Even in me being faithful, it's God's work in me. It's God's work in my life. Now, of course, I'm not saying that he programs us, he makes us do what we have to do. But Paul said clearly, Christ lives in me. What does that mean? It means that this wasn't my idea. And even if I follow every dictate that God has laid down perfectly, I still give glory to him because he saved me in his grace. Has he saved you? Have you gained the kingdom? He wants you to be saved. You can't be saved outside of the kingdom. And to join the kingdom, you have to give yourself to be ruled by the king. Here's what Jesus said about that, about submitting ourselves to the path of salvation. Is that where you are this morning? We encourage you to think about that as we stand and sing.